What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am really looking forward to finally airing this episode today. I recorded it a very long time ago, and it's finally time for you all to meet Evelyn Oshita. I first saw her on the Netflix documentary Stripped Down, Rise Up, and by the end of the documentary had tears in my eyes anytime she came onto the screen to speak, and I immediately knew I needed to have her on the podcast to share her story. So I'm warning y'all, sit back, grab a drink, keep the tissues nearby. Welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not chapter 6 <gasps> He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. So before I bring Evelyn on today... Obviously, this episode is titled Fuck Death, and that is something I am unfortunately familiar with. Um, I've talked about it many times on here. You've read it in Eat, Pray, FML. I lost my dad when I was a little girl, pretty traumatically. I lost my high school sweetheart at 18 in a car crash very suddenly, and I most recently lost my uncle to suicide. So I talk about all these in episode nine, Fuck Grief. But I wanted to take a minute before we dive into today's interview to discuss just death itself and how much it fucking sucks um, and the different kinds of death that affect us differently. Because you're going to see a lot in this episode how her whole life was changed. Um, and then even after the death took place, there was still things that were being uncovered and coming up that were really rocking her world. Uh, so for me personally, w- when I lost my dad, I was so young that it didn't really register at the time. Um, it wasn't until my later kind of angsty preteen and teenager years that it really started to manifest as grief um, because it it then became clear what had happened and how devastating and drastic it was. Um, and I feel like it it took me, I mean, look, healing isn't linear. And although I feel healed around my father's death, you know, there's always things that come up. Um, around my wedding, it was really sad for me to not have him there and reconcile with the fact that he wasn't going to be there to walk me down the aisle. Although my incredible stepfather, who I very much consider my dad, did. It still hits you in those big life-changing moments where you're like, oh, he's he's never going to meet Tay. He's never going to read my book. Um, Things like that that really still 
you know, come in waves and randomly hit you. Um, October is, I think, always subconsciously kind of a hard month for me because that was his birthday and the month that he ended up passing. Uh, And last October, I remember sitting in bed and pulled up a bunch of videos on YouTube, which I'm so lucky that I can have that. Um, Just randomly sit and Google videos of my parents that will be there forever. Um, And I remember watching watching videos of him and just crying for the fact that like he was never going to get to know the adult woman that I have now become and that I'm so proud of. And I think that'll always be with me in some way that he's never going to know me now um, or know my future children if I choose to have them one day. Um, Even though in my heart, I know that he's up there witnessing all of it and looking down on me. There's still that little fleeting feeling of uh, sadness that I think always lingers there. My high school sweetheart's death was a very different experience for me, although it ripped open those same good old abandonment wounds. Um, It was a lot more jarring because it came out of nowhere. It was one of those things that you think that'll never actually happen to me or someone I know. Um, And it didn't really feel real. And when everything happened and they brought his body back from San Diego to Los Angeles, um, I remember wanting to go with his half-sister to go to the, um, the funeral home and see the body. And his mom had been like, please, Gabrielle, don't go. You will have nightmares. Like, just please stay here with me. Please don't go. Um, so I, I didn't out of respect for her. And that's one of the oddly big regrets I have. Um, because for a very long time, my brain couldn't wrap itself around the fact that that had actually happened. Um, I think with my dad, because I saw him, um, on the floor, I saw him get taken away. Um, So it made sense to my brain that it was real. Um, And because I never saw my high school sweetheart, it, um, it never really connected the dots. And I would have these very, very lucid, vivid dreams that he was A, still alive, B, everybody was like playing this weird fucked up trick on me um, and that he was really like living his life somewhere else um, for years. And there would be times where I would see someone that looked just like him walking through a crowd or driving on the freeway and I would double take and have to try and like catch up to that person to like see them. Um, And it really fucked with me mentally because it I didn't see the proof in front of my face. I saw the news articles, obviously, like I went to the funeral, but I never was able to see the proof. And that did something weird mentally to me that I wasn't ever really expecting to happen. Um, Obviously, this was many, many years ago now, but um, it was interesting to watch how the different outcome of those deaths, like me being able to see a body versus not greatly affected my psyche in dealing with it. And then most recently with my my uncle's suicide which you'll read a little bit about in book 2, it was a totally different experience for me. Um obviously when someone you know 
decides to take their own life as opposed to it happening circumstantially um it it's different and there's a whole other weird side of that specific type of grief which we also talked about in the grief podcast um and for that it was interesting because you know he lived out of state and we normally only get together around christmas time unless there's a special occasion like a wedding and so i hadn't seen him uh and it wasn't until we went to Estes Park, Colorado to spread his ashes um, and do his memorial that it really finally felt real. Um, And I had to reconcile with a lot of anger that I was holding toward him. Um, Not because of the disease that ultimately led him to taking his own life, um, just because of the way that it was done. what my aunt had to deal with after that, uh, what it made my mother relive. Um, and after I dealt with a lot of the anger, I ultimately had a choice to make. And that was, am I going to let the anger be the memory and the emotion that I carry forward with me? Or am I going to let all of the good memories and the things that I know he should be remembered for um, be what carries forth. Uh, and ultimately, it, it only does a disservice to us when we carry that forward. Some days I realize I have not eaten an actual meal and then panic at the thought of having to figure out what the hell to cook. When I tell you that Factor Meals has saved me and Tay during the newborn baby phase, I mean that wholeheartedly. They are delicious two-minute meals that involve zero prep, zero cleanup, and are freaking restaurant quality delicious. Sometimes we plate them out and pretend like we cooked it all of ourselves just to make us feel better about life, (laughs) but our stomachs are always thrilled either way because they are so good. Factor meals show up right to your door and they are super flexible with your schedule. You can order as much or as little as you need every week. And there are so many different options to choose from, from breakfast, midday bites, and awesome dinners. It is less expensive than takeout, trust me, and my credit card bill, and dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Go to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk to get 50% off. If you ask Tay if he could only eat one thing for the rest of his life, the answer would be cereal. Full disclosure, I was first influenced by Miss Morgan Willette to try Magic Spoon cereal, so when I found out I was going to get to offer you guys a deal on it, I was so excited because it is so freaking good. Magic Spoon has zero sugar, so we can not only have it for breakfast, but late night snacks, and it's perfect for the kiddos to get them a healthy meal without the sugar crash. I love their variety pack. Four flavors are cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. 
big yay. It is high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. Tay and my bonus daughter are cereal connoisseurs, and they are in love with Magic Spoon and cannot believe it's packed with as much goodness as it is. Go to grab a variety pack and try it today. I promise you guys will not be disappointed. And be sure to use our promo code at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash fmltalk and use the code fmltalk to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. I've always been kind of skeptical about custom beauty products, but I will say Pros was able to change my mind on that. Pros is custom made to order hair care and skin care that is personalized with a unique blend of ingredients just for you. I finally started self-love care in the form of dyeing my hair again, and their shampoo, anti-brass conditioner, and hair mask have really done wonders for my hair. The quiz you take is specific, so they really get to know what your needs and wants are. They even asked me about the climate where I live and how often I'm in different elements to get me exactly what I needed. Since I've been using pros, my color is holding better and my hair is all around healthier after the postpartum havoc that was wrecked on it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, Pros proved that personalization works better than buying off the shelf. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they are offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash fmltalk. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fmltalk for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash fmltalk. So listening to this episode back and just hearing her story, it it was such a unique set of events that took place um, that she had to walk through and move through. And I rarely, you know, get emotional when I'm watching documentaries. And this woman, every time she came on screen and spoke words about what she was dealing with and trying to overcome, I was... I had tears in my eyes, just like flooded with emotions. Um, And of course, so then I get on to do this podcast episode and it continuously happens throughout the episode. It's um, very moving and very powerful and a little heavy as as it can be when we talk about this, this subject. So whether or not you have had to deal with death in your life, um, if you are lucky enough to have not had to overcome, deal with, um, experience that in a close form. Uh, I'm sure you know someone who has, so I hope this episode can give you some insight um, on how to help and support those people that have dealt with it and kind of just open your eyes to what this beautiful soul experienced and was so kind to come on and open up and share her story with all of us. So without further ado, Evelyn Oshita. 
Miss Evelyn, I am so, so excited that you agreed to come on FML Talk. Thank you for being here, girl. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Um, so I mentioned on our the beginning of our episode that I first saw you on the documentary that Netflix put put out, and it really, really moved me. I don't cry often when I'm watching, you know, documentaries or or even films. Like something has to really touch me. And multiple times when you came on the screen, I was in full on tears. Oh. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I don't, sometimes I don't know if that's good or bad, but I guess if it touched you and it moved you, then um, my story was m- most likely meant to do that, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's beautiful that it's been touching people all over the world now. So let's jump right in. And before we get to how it was like filming the documentary, just tell me kind of about your story for people that haven't seen it. I lost my husband. Um prior, of course, to the documentary back in 2016, I wasn't sleeping. Um, so at night, and to try to put myself to sleep, I would either, call, you know, delete emails or go through, go through my Facebook feed. And on one particular night, I happened to notice on the Facebook feed that there was um, Netflix, uh, they put out on the S-Factor wall, which is the S-Factor pole dancing classes that I was on a feed with, um, did have it on my um, friends list. And this particular post was requesting um, women, to, they were seeking women for a, a Netflix documentary for female empowerment, not knowing what I was going into, but there was an application to be filled out. Um, I went back and forth with it because I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Of course, I did open up the application, read all the questions, closed it up, Still wasn't sleeping, and then finally, after an hour of tugging at my heart, something told me just to fill out this application and submit it. And it asked questions, you know, why? Why would you be interested? Where are you at in life? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And I focused more on answering the questions with the fact that I was um, a widow, um, where I wasn't moving in life. I was just getting up to breathe, wasn't waking up to live. And um, also that I was a plus size woman and I didn't see, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't even know how I was going to handle the poll. I was just seeking the fact that they asked these questions. I answered them with all my heart. And next thing you know, I'm getting a call from S Factor Corporate that they're, I was considered to be in the documentary. That's amazing. So when, how, take, take me through how you lost your husband and what happened and how long you guys were together and kind of like how you really dealt with that whole thing. I've always felt like his name was Terry. I always felt like Terry was the love of my life. I knew him for more than half my life and we had we had this relationship where I'm not going to, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. There's, you know, I'm Hispanic, so I come from the machismo growing up, watching my, you know, grandmother and my mom, whatever a man said goes. Mm -hmm. Well, I kind of followed into this because I just felt regardless of what nationality he was, I did the same thing. Whatever Terry said, whatever, you know, whether it be a passive aggressive comment or he verbally said it, I did it. 
And that's just what I did because I just thought all my life that's what we were supposed to do as Latinas. Mm -hmm. um, we get together. Um, my kids fall in love with him. We move in together and we talk about getting married, which I had always wanted. But at this point, I was like, no, it's okay if we don't get married. Uh, well, we eventually did get married. And um, <laughs> we get married and within an, a year and a half, he dies. The week that he did pass, we were celebrating um, his 60, 60th birthday. Oh, so he was young. Mm -hmm. We headed out to the casino that weekend. And it's okay. Take your time. <laughs> I, I know it all too well. We, you know, we're just supposed to get up and go to the casino that weekend. We were just supposed to get up, go celebrate his birthday. And, um, I remember he was in the bathroom and he kept hitting his head like four times, five times really hard. And I looked at him like, what are you doing? He goes, I think I just busted my eardrum. Because he, at the time, this looking back now, of course, in hindsight, he must have been cleaning his ear out. And at that time, the aneurysm busted. So I think he thought he popped his eardrum. But he didn't. And at this time, I know something seriously is wrong. He's on my side of the bed. And, and, and the one thing about his culture, the way he lived, his space was his space, my space was my space. And... He was never on my side of the bed. And uh, I was just like, are you okay? And he goes, and then all of a sudden he just looked at me really like him. He just looked at me and he goes, I'm fine. And at that point, looking back again now, I'm just thinking he wasn't fine. And he wasn't going to tell me because then that would mean he'd have to go get checked. And of course, right. like most men, they don't want to go to the doctor, don't want to go to the hospital. Uh -huh. So we went on our day. We were on our way to... Um, the casino next thing you know it's 9 30 in the morning and i remember him ordering me a drink and right when he ordered me the drink i just he because it wasn't in a bottle he asked the waitress to put it in a glass for me um it happened to be blue moon and he goes can you please garnish it with an orange for her and i could hear him do this it's kind of funny now let thinking about this and then she comes back and he has it to me and i just thanked him i just at that moment, I thanked him for loving me and for taking care of me the way he did. Mm -hmm. And 15 minutes later, he had a full-blown stroke right there in the casino. Oh, I mean, got to give it to him. It was in one of his favorite places, you know. Right. <laughs> and uh, oh, that must have that must have been so difficult to be there and like witness that happen. I, I can't even imagine. Oh, it, it's just like everything happens so fast, and then, but yet, it happens so slowly. Um, like I could see myself walking and practically running to the bathroom because he's perspiring, and I'm just thinking, what's what what's going on? But at the same time, I see him perspiring. I'm like, I'm gonna go get him a, a napkin just to pat him down. But then all of a sudden. He started slouching towards me, and then now somebody comes over, and they automatically just want to get him out of the casinos, but they're looking back now. They want him out. Right. And when the ambulance came, they just said, um, your husband has suffered a stroke. And I'm just going, 
okay like okay all right then um i'm gonna go ahead and go get the car and i'll see you guys at the hospital that's what my whole thinking is you know because in my mind i'm thinking i have to get the car because if i don't get the car how are we going to get home and um i didn't get his keys mm -hmm. of course they gave me his work keys because the, uh. the last words we said to each other was i said where are your keys and all he could say to me was left meaning his left pocket Right. So, of course, the, the the EMTs took his keys off his left side, but they were in his pocket. And I was stranded at the casino for two and a half hours before oh somebody could get to me and get a ride. Yes, everyone was like, well, why did you take a taxi? But in my head, I'm thinking, I take a taxi. He's going to say, you wasted money. You should have just, you know, shouldn't have done that. I'm just thinking, yes, what I'm going to hear. So I'm sitting there trying to find somebody to come and get me. And my sister finally did, was the one that was able to. And uh, next thing you know, not understanding the terms when it comes to walking to a hospital. And it was literally a scene from a movie. I walk in, no, they all stop me. They go, I hear that must be his wife. They, somebody comes and takes me. They put me in this little room and... I'm waiting for them to tell me he's dead, but in so many words, I guess they did say he was, mm -hmm. but they kept him on life support basically for me, but it still didn't register. Right. All I By now it's four in the morning. We have been up since early morning the previous day. And I just want to get my, I just want to come and get my kids and come back to the hospital. And it wasn't until my daughter got there at 1030 and my daughter heard them say, you know, he, he's not going to make it. He's obviously gone. God, I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. Um, so then did you say goodbye to him while he was on life support in the hospital? I wanted one more day. I wanted prayers. Yeah. And I wanted a miracle. And we, I got to give it to my... Um, my exes, um, my ex literally drove to Santa Barbara, got my son, brought him down to Escondido, and we, we as a family, made the decision to take him off life support, and we took him off life support literally, um, well that day, and then they they gave us four hours. They go, it's gonna be two to four hours, and I just was like, you don't know my husband. Mm -hmm. he's stubborn it's when he says and he, <laughs> he literally ended up hanging on till um i'm gonna say 12 hours later and oh, he wow. passed away on he literally passed away on his 60th birthday oh, i can't imagine what it must have felt like everything was like you said in a movie and moving in slow motion um so it, it's different you know with my experience when i found my dad I walked in, I was very young, and I walked in and saw him, but to be there and see the steps of it actually take place and happen is really traumatizing, I can imagine. Yes, because he would be the one that I would, yeah. that I would call and say, hey, this is going on. What do you think? What should I do? And he'd be like, okay, this is what you're, this is what you could do, you know, or this would, this sounds like this would work, or you know don't worry we're gonna figure it out yeah. and the craziest thing though three months before he passed so much 
greatness was going on. Like, we were just in a great place. Like, finally, I just felt like we were in a great place with each other. And then this happened, and I think... I think we're at this point in my life. I grieve those three months before he passed more than anything. Yeah. Anything. Got and that's what's that's what's been the hardest. It's those three months. If I had to just pick something, it'd be those three months before. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it's almost like there's two different ways of looking at it. You can look at it like that it was so hard and tragic because these three months were finally here and it was like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for and searching for and now it's ripped away from me. Or you can look at it like he he always knew he had to, to go early. You know, my mom always says that my dad told her he was going to die young. He just knew it in, on like a cellular soul level. And maybe maybe Terry knew and he wanted to have those blissful three months with you before before it happened you know I think he knew that day I really do think he knew that day because when I did tell him thank you for loving me and thank you for taking care of me with you and he goes I just he goes I hope you I hope you 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 know this you I hope you know this like and I was like yes of course I do and then that was it wow okay so how did you start your grieving process before you got accepted into this documentary? Or is it just a I blur? Think, um, I don't think I was even, I don't even can say I was grieving. I mean, <laughs> that day I was supposed to, on his birthday, I set up an interview um, to be, to seek a promotion at work. Mm -hmm. And I remember the phone ringing and someone saying, I was supposed to be there at 10 and he passed away at, you know, at 747 and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to make it. Um, can you just tell them to give me a week, mm -hmm. you know? And of course, you know, three days later I called them and I said, just give me a week. And they're like, no, no, it's okay. We'll just wait. And I go, no, 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 just give me a week. Cause I knew I had to take care of things, but you know, I, I, if anything I want to say is, now to anyone in the sense of this grieving or somebody passes i didn't know anything i in the sense of i didn't know where any of the bills were right nothing yeah nothing it was like a total it was chaos but at that moment i'm i'm just my daughter's like thinking of me you got this mom you're doing it and she goes are you going to be okay and I said, I'm probably going to be okay until the funeral. Mm -hmm. And by that I meant, because once the funeral happens, everybody leaves, yeah. everybody goes, yep. and they're back to life, and I'm here still, and I didn't move. Yeah. I, my son gets back to school. My daughter's entering her senior year. I got to go back to work, put on my uniform, and all I could do is just put on my uniform, go to work, take care of my customers and then get back home and just stay in bed. Yeah. Days back then the we weren't in those in a busy season. So I was off maybe three or four days at a time. Mm -hmm. And if that was, 
I just got up to go to the bathroom and got back into bed. Yeah. I mean, it got so bad. It got so bad that I even let my teeth go. I didn't even brush my teeth. Yeah. I, it's, it's utter, just hardcore grief where you just don't want to move. I've, I've been there and it's, it's really tough to pull out of. I think every day I woke up and I was like, okay, am I good? Today's the day I'm going to die. Cause I just figured my grandmother died six months after my grandfather. So I figured, okay, I'm on borrowed time. Okay. I'm ready to die. But every time I woke up, I was like, okay, today's not the day I'm going to die. But so how do I get through the day to live? Right. I mean, that's, yes, I had my two children, but well, that doesn't take away from the the grief your heart was feeling. Yeah. So the documentary comes. You end up going to S Factor to start this pole dancing journey. What did you expect when you were going? What What was the main hope that you wanted to get out of it? Just Just knowing that on on a on Sundays, I was going to get out of bed, mm-hmm. get in a car, and drive to L.A. was such a triumph yeah. triumph in itself. Um, but when I walked in to the first day and I saw all these women, I, I just felt so connected. I mean, I didn't even know why they were there. I mean, I know we had one thing in common. We all just wanted to, to dance we wanted to be in this class and we wanted to learn pole. So I was just so happy that there were so many of us there. But then, you know, you feel this connection when you meet someone, you you feel this energy, or at least I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, there's, uh, you know, this redhead walks in and her name's Elizabeth, who, who you find out in the documentary is my mirror. And she's wonderful. And I'm just, I just couldn't stop looking at her. There's Lisette. Lisette sitting across from me and and she's just this cute little thing with freckles and (laughs) like all of us just looking at everybody you know Violet and I'm just like wow these women you know I'm like I'm excited I want to get in this room and see what they're going to do what are they going to offer what are they going to teach us yeah and I I we just had to get in and we all sat down to get to know each other and I was wow I'm safe here Oh, that's beautiful. And you open up a lot in the documentary. You you talk about the fact that you had just lost your husband recently. And it, it's really emotional to watch you, you know, kind of take that plunge and bare your soul to these this group of women and how they all, like, just wrapped you up in their arms. Like, everyone, I, I could feel it watching it. Everyone was so supportive of the journey that you were going on. Cause your journey was very different than other people's in the documentary. Some people were there for confidence. Some people just wanted to learn pole. Some people were healing from sexual abuse. It was like a very diverse group of reasons that people were going to get back in touch with their bodies and like to feel something again. Um, and your story, you know, I think really touched everybody that was there and everybody wrapped you up in their arms and it was really beautiful to watch. Yes, they were, they were so supportive. Um, and then I, again, I'm in this class and I want, I want to, I want to just heal. I just thought, okay, here it is. I'm going to give it all to you. And 
here it is. Tell me what I need to do. Um, and that was my goal. My goal was to walk in and, and heal. Um, yes, there was cameras in the room, but at, at a, at a certain point, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. All that mattered was connecting and being, whether it be with the pole, whether it be with the sister by my side, whether it be with the teachers, the fact is I just wanted to breathe and I wanted to move and I wanted to live again. Yeah. And that's what they did for me. That's the, the support. I, I just can't even tell you the support of all these women that would come from all walks of life, were all different backgrounds, all different needs, all different pains, mm -hmm. um, whether it be mental, physical, emotional abuse. Every We all had something, but, and I think that's what made it so unique is that we all had something to give and take for, for each other. And there was one moment that um, men were brought in to one of the classes, like three very, you know, solid, energetically, you know, supportive. And they knew that they were there just to support these women and what they were going through. And basically what they had them do, for those who haven't seen the documentary, is stand there and you each one at a time would go up to one of them and you could dance a little bit, but then you would just hug them and kind of be in their space. And when you went up to hug one of the men, I, I just saw you kind of fold into him. Like it was, it was almost like you just needed that person that your husband had been for you to hold you and, and have you in his arms for a moment, even though he was a complete stranger. It was really beautiful. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, they they all had a different I believe a different energy that was attracting. And by that I mean one came in and one was wearing more of a business type shirt and who he was the one I was drawn to because my husband and I met in in a, you know, business atmosphere. So we were always dressed up. He was always clean uh, the tie and the business shirt and and that's who I saw like that's what attracted me to go to him mm -hmm. um and yes you're right some did dance to them but my energy wasn't so much of dancing it was more of a again just moving and I did move to him and we their energy was to allow us to have our space him to have his space but at that moment I just wanted to just, I just told him how much I missed him. Yeah. Um, you know, you want, you miss so much. And it's not just the fact that they're here and alive, but touch, never realizing how much touch means. Yeah. And going back to those three months, the touching was happening again, whether it just be a hug or holding hands. And I remember understanding even more so this this presence, male presence in front of me was so important because prior to that, prior when this documentary started, I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm going to be in a documentary. I better go clean my teeth. Literally, I said this to myself, right. went to go to the dentist and all my dentist did to me was he touched my cheek 
And by that, I mean, because um, he's about to give administer the shot to numb me because my teeth were that bad. Um, I let myself go so much in so many ways. Just It wasn't just my weight, but with my teeth. So when he touched me, I broke down and he stopped me because he thought he hurt me. And I said, no, I haven't had a, a, a man touch me. Mm-hmm. And it was just literally he just not even touched me he just picked up my cheek to pull the cheek back to right. stick a needle in me but to me it meant everything yeah and i think being around and, and at that moment in the documentary with that with him i just um just had to tell him how much i missed him yeah he needed to know yeah that was really beautiful to watch um which is also a reason why when the second half of your story came to light it for me as a viewer, I like my mouth dropped open. Um, and I, you know, with what I've been through, I felt for you so much. Um, so tell me about when you, you found that second little bit of information. It was coming up on a year of him being gone. And I used to always, I always told myself the good thing about him dying on his birthday was one less day I had to 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 ache because you know most of us we ache on the person's birthday because they're not here mm-hmm. and we ache on the person on the person's day their sunset so there's always these two days well his happened to be right on his he died on his birthday right. and I knew I was going down I was going down bad and I just said, I don't know what to do. So that night I couldn't sleep again. I picked up his phone and I told my, I, I just said, let's just, just look at his phone and just, you know, grab onto text messages and be in the midst of a conversation, mm-hmm. whether it be mine or his. And sure enough, um, I came across a, a conversation and I saw the name, and it was a name I wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't a, a female name. It was a male. So I opened it. And <laughs> I opened it, and there were, who knows, 15-plus pictures of this woman, conversations. And there, I, I guess... I don't, I mean, looking back, I'm, I don't remember. I can't say, I mean, here it is. So we're go. let me go back to, we're applying his services and I have his phone because I'm trying to contact family and friends through his phone because I don't have those numbers. Mm-hmm. And I come across and I find two pictures and, um, I know those boobs aren't mine. Right. So, and they're two separate sets of boobs. Mm-hmm. So immediately, you know, my uh, good friend tells me, give me your phone. Give me the phone and let's destroy it. Mm. And I'm like, why? Like, why are we going to destroy it? I said, she was because you might find something else. Right. Well, here we are a year later and I did find something else. And I, I, at that moment, I was like, okay. I want it all. I I called his boss Mm -hmm. and I asked his boss, just tell me everything. Just tell me now so I can get it all out and I could just be free of it, so to speak. Right. 
I guess I just wanted as much pain as I could take so I could let it go. But of course I didn't. I held on to this for seven months. What, what did his boss end up telling you? I even asked her, well, did you have an affair with him? Mm -hmm. And she kind of laughed and she's like, uh, no, I'm sorry, but, uh, I'm not, no, he's not even, I wouldn't even be attracted to someone like him. Like, you know, it's kind of, she's kind of trying to make me laugh. And, and, and she just, I mentioned the name. She knew who it was and she, it made her angry. And, um, yeah. And I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like to not have him here to question and demand answers from and and yell at oh oh you you go through everything like okay do you know how many times his phone like he would play this game i don't know it had to be with birds or something and i'd be like to kill time or kino on his phone we and i'd be sitting there and we'd be waiting for something i go can i just have your phone he goes well what for now i know like i hear now well, why? What do you want it for? And I said, well, no, I'm just going to play the game. Can I just play the game? And he would he would pass me the phone, and I would just play the game. Or he always had um, his phone facing down. And I'd be like, never, never did it face me. Why would his yeah. phone be facing down? We put our phones down. I don't know how many people put them down, right. um, but I've never put my phone down, face down. Yeah. Um, There was times where he left his phone at home and me being the good wife, I'd wake up and I'd be, oh my goodness, your phone's here. Do you want me to take it to you? I'll go take it to you right now. And he'd be, no, 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 just leave it there. Just turn it off. Right. I'm like, well, why do we have to turn it off? Right. Oh, well, okay. But there was a time where I did take it to him. I go, I'm just going to take it to you. I'm right here around the corner. You know, we live close by, da, da, da. And that's what I would do. I would take his phone to him. Yeah. So I guess I I remember when I was dealing with my looking back after I found out about my ex-husband's affair, it didn't ever even seem like it was in the realm of possibility. So you never really look at those as like warning signs when it's not even anywhere in your mind that they could be doing something like that. No, it has just a thing now looking back. It was there. Right. I just didn't understand. I just listened. Like, even before we got together, um, I would come, if I was coming over, and if he was out with someone, well, I'm not going to be home till 9.30. I go, well, it's okay. I'm going to be getting, I'm probably going to be, I don't want to be stuck in traffic, you know, or I would just say, I'll just be there. Well, don't come, though. Don't, I don't want you, go do something. Go run an errand. Go Right. Never, right. it never dawned on me, like, like really, really, I just, I don't yeah. know, you just won't want to, I don't know if it's just, I don't want to believe it, or no, that can't be, um, we're yeah. past that, we're, we're, we've been past this, like, you know, but, of course, now, in my head, you know, I remember when I saw one of the pictures, I'm like, I, I told my sister, it's someone at work. And she goes, how do you know? I said, because look at the background. They're in a, they're in a break room. Right. And he's, he's laughing at me. And she's laughing at me. And she's like, 
okay, I don't even, I'm not even thinking about that. She goes, I go, no, I'm not even looking at the boobs. I'm I go, boobs are boobs, you know? I mean, he could have had all these other things in his phone. I, I get that. I get the, the eye candy concept. Okay, I do. I think my sister was like, she just was like, so you think it's somebody from work? And I said, yeah, it has to be. And so, but now I go into our text messages from that time frame to this time frame, I, I see the conversations. And, and what hurt me more that you'll hear in the documentary was the question she asked is when we felt violated. Was there ever a time? Mm-hmm. The violation for me was seeing him call her beautiful. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I couldn't say that word. Mm. I could not say it. I could not spell it. It made me sick. And then, oh, obviously, I'm saying it today. You could hear me say it today. Um, but at that time, I couldn't. Yeah. How do you think that that affected your grieving process when you found all that out? Do you feel like it like put you back 10 steps? I felt like I don't even know how to grieve. I don't even know if I was grieving as it was. How, what do I do now? Yeah. I was just angry. Yeah. I was angry. And it wasn't till I went to dinner with my kids after work we met. My son happened to be in town. And the, the, the waitress gave me a compliment because I was in my C's candy uniform. Mm-hmm. And just hearing her compliment me broke me down. I didn't know how to accept it. And, you know, when this came out, I did tell my daughter. My daughter immediately got up from the table and, and drove home. And it was my son and I left the table. She left because she just didn't know how to deal with it. But at that time, my, my son was like, well, you're in this documentary, Mom. Let it out. Let it go to help you heal. Mm. Wow. And that's, and that's what I did. That's amazing. If you could tell anyone listening or that's seen the documentary and was moved by it, something about you know, if they're on the, the grieving journey or the healing journey, what would be your biggest piece of um, advice or wisdom to them? I look back, things make sense, but I think if you have this intuition and you, you got to trust your inner, inner self and if it's happening or um, you, you got to deal with it, you got to face it. It's not you. It's not a ref- it's not even a reflection of you. I mean, looking back at what I did find and see, it looks like it stopped right before those three months. Right, of course. Which makes sense. Yeah. But I did. But when I did contact her, I did go through her Facebook and I did write to her and I just told her, I know when you're going to see this. I know when you're going to find this message. Mm-hmm. And I figured out the reason why I'm going to know she's going to find it is because she's going to block me on Facebook, right. which she did. So she never responded to your message? No. Wow. Do you feel like you've been able to forgive your husband for all of it? Yes, I had to. Yeah. 
Cause I didn't. I for, I had to forgive him. Um, because if not, it would just spin in my head. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to. Un- I, do I want to understand it? To a certain point, I understand it. I understand that I wasn't somebody that he could. I don't think I was somebody that he could take care of anymore. Mm. I wasn't the weak woman anymore. Right. And I think like this person that he was somehow communicating with whichever way was somebody that wasn't that was weak in his eyes yeah and i think he needed that empowerment Mm -hmm. for a man um because looking at the pattern of things i'm like yeah makes sense god i I wasn't that i so identify with that with Mm -hmm. with not being the weak woman anymore and they need someone that they can kind of mold and like take care of and yeah that's oh yes he powerful that's exactly it. I remember driving to Santa Barbara to take um, him, my son to orientation, and I asked him if he was going to go. And he, and I'm thinking now, of course, you always wonder, okay, well, he didn't want to go. Why? What was he going to do that day? Well, he didn't go. He, I mean, when I was getting ready to walk out the door, he goes, why didn't you wake me up? I'm going to go. I go, no, I got this. Did I have this? No. We got in the car. I told my son, all right, let's, let's get MapQuest out. Let's figure out how to get there. We're going to do this. I drove. That's the most I've driven in years by myself. Yeah. Of course, we got in the car. He drove unless I was driving myself to work. But he was always the one to drive no matter what, mm-hmm. even if we're going to the market. So I get in the car with my son. We go. We do this. We come back. I walk in. He's sitting on the couch. And I, I said these words to him. I didn't need you. Mm. And he goes, yes, I realize that. And it, and I think that's when it changed. Yeah. And where do you feel like you are now with everything? I, I know I don't need a man. Good girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, we need them for certain things. Yes, of course. But I want a man in my life. I don't need a man in my life. That's um, the best place to ever get to. It's the most empowering fucking feeling ever. I don't need to hear from somebody else. Oh, by the way, you look nice. Mm -hmm. By the way, you look beautiful. By the way, I like the way that looks on you. If I look in the mirror and if I like it, I like it. And if I don't like it, then I don't like it. It doesn't. You're what you say to me isn't going to make or break me anymore. Yep. You know, amazing. Amazing. And I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only your story, but just being so vulnerable and willing to go there. I know a lot of my listeners are going to connect with different things that you've gone through and in turn help heal some of their own grief. Um, It's, it's really amazing when we can look back and reflect on the good times and the times that were not so great and where we felt anger, but we're able to move through that with forgiveness. And you're a really beautiful example of that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Evelyn. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really want to thank Evelyn for coming on and just bearing her soul. Um, it was really such a beautiful interview to experience and see someone who 
still has so much rawness and emotion around what she's dealing with and having it still be so fresh and being able to speak about it in a way to ultimately just help other people heal. Um, I am inspired by her and am thankful that she decided to bring her voice onto my platform to share her beautiful story. Next week, I am bringing on someone who you have probably seen me talk about on my page. Her name is Brienne Davis. She is a well-known actress, but most recently added author to her resume. And her book, The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, has hit bestseller a few times now on Amazon and she recently released it out into the world and it is a really awesome story of her life in Hollywood and how she overcame her sex addiction and all the things she went through and it's written in a very similar style to Eat, Pray, FML. So I urge you guys to go check it out if you haven't seen me post about it on my page already. And I have also been mentoring her through the process. So this has kind of come full circle for her and I, and I'm so very proud of her. Um, As you know, a few months back, we had a male perspective of sex addiction when we spoke with Mike Cosson. And it was really important for me to bring a female on to speak about the same subject, but also bring on someone who has held true to their recovery and has really committed and is living a life that is absolutely different than the one she once knew. Her her story is really powerful and it's a wild ride, so buckle up. Um, I can't wait for you guys to meet her next week. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. If you are not signed up for the subscription, you are seriously missing out. You can do that at patreon.com slash FML Talk or find it at the link in our Instagram bio where you can also get to the website with all the merch and your signed copies of Eat, Pray, FML. We are getting pretty close to uh, some big book two news, you guys, and The subscription is going to be where all the stuff that got left on the cutting room floor is. And believe me, there is a lot. (laughs) So you do not want to skip out on that if you are an Eat, Pray, FML fan. Thank you all for joining me for yet another episode of FML Talk. I love you guys and I will see you next week. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.